0: We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Dion shares his message the relational way. So here we are. We are at the end of another series. And I don't know if saying goodbye to this series makes you happy or sad. Happy, sad, happy, sad. Never mind. I don't want to know, actually. Um, but this has been an important series as we've talked about how, in every aspect of our lives our, our spiritual lives, our financial lives, our mental lives, our, our calling, our vocation, our vocational lives, um, our physical lives we're going to talk about relational lives. We're talking about how Jesus has something for us, that He has a way to teach us, a way that we can go that will add life richness, fullness, abundance to each part of those, uh, each part of us, each part of our lives. But then, of course, the sum total, as each of these parts get richer, the whole life gets richer and it becomes more integrated. And here's what I love about this series, that talking about these things the way we have through the Sermon on the Mount, just these three chapters of Scripture, we're only scratching the surface of what God has for us in each part of our lives. I mean, think about it. Three chapters of scripture, and we've derived all of this wisdom, and all of this guidance, and all of this truth. There's so much more throughout the scriptures for you in each part of your life. And when you're in a relationship with Jesus, as you journey with him, he will continue to lead you in the way of truth in each part of your life. But but here we are now, final week of the series, Valentine's Day, and we're going to take on the relational way, which means... Guys in particular, I'm looking at you, that if you came to church, if you're watching church right now with a significant other, by virtue of simply tuning in or being here, you are already doing something very romantic. Check, right? Check the box. It counts. Uh, today, as we talk about the relational way, I actually want to start somewhere else. I want to start here. Uh, how many of you know what these things are? If you're stumped, there's a clue right here. Um, These are beach warning flags. How many of you have seen these before on the beach? Yeah, my family, we love to go to the beach. And for some reason this week, I've been thinking about the beach a lot. Um, We love to go to the beach as a family. And it's just one of those places where from the time my kids were little, from the time they were babies up until now, it's a place where every person in our family can be happy, which is rare. How do you keep five different people happy with the same activity? The beach does it for us. So uh, when my kids were really small, we used to go to the golf coast Uh, we'd go down to sanibel florida jocelyn's grandparents had a a condo there so we got to go to sanibel and we got to stay there for free which was amazing and they are both gone now and no one saw fit to leave me the condo in the inheritance you know the grandson-in-law doesn't make out very well in the will i guess the reality is I, i don't think i could pay the taxes on that thing um so we stopped going to sanibel that place is gone now now we go over to the other side of Florida. We have some friends who have a place over on the Atlantic coast, and that's where we go. And it's taken a little bit of adjustment, you know, going from Gulf to Atlantic, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, one of the adjustments is that the water over in the Atlantic is a lot rougher. And so, you know, we, we got to the beach and we saw these signs and we're like, oh. And, and uh, actually, if we can go back there just for one second to the signs. Uh, we saw these signs, and we had to figure this out. Like, what do these colors mean? And had to look it up to understand what this means. And once I saw this, I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's really, that's, that's great. That's genius. Especially when you've got kids at the beach, you want to know, is it safe for them? What's going on in the water? You can't tell what's going on, what's going on in the water. And as I've thought about that system, I thought, you know what? This would be a great system for all kinds of places in life, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine if you could pull into your driveway at the end of the day and someone, your spouse, maybe someone in your family, was flying one of these flags for you? (laughs) It'd be great, wouldn't it? You'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, double red flag. I'm not going in. You just back out, pretend you were never there. Or, um, you know, this one, this is my phase of life, dangerous marine life. Maybe the purple flag in a family means my teenager's home along with their friends. They're not dangerous, but they can be loud. And so maybe that's what that means. I mean, wouldn't this be great if you knew before you walked into a situation what you were getting yourself into? Or if you walked into the boss's office, if she or he was flying one of these flags, if your teacher was flying one of these flags over their classroom, if you knew before you had to you know, step into disaster, you knew exactly what you were getting into. This system is genius. I wish it applied to more other places in life. And here's what I can tell you, that if it did, and if we could give a flag rating right now To the landscape of relationships, just our relational worlds as human beings on the planet right now, if we looked at the big picture of our relational lives, it is no doubt to me that we would be in that double red flag territory. In my life, not that old, but I'm getting kind of older. In my life, I have never experienced a time where it felt more risky and dangerous just to, just to, just to like, walk into relationships or to try to live out relationships with people. And I don't know if you feel that too, but it really does seem like, now, now you can see this picture, you've seen this at the beach, if I could, if I could picture the relational landscape of the world right now, it looks something like this. It looks dangerous. It looks like a place where it is not wise to dive in head first. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if there are undertows or if there's dangerous creatures like you don't know what you're going to get. In the relational world right now, it seems like not to mix metaphors, but I'm going to there are landmines everywhere. There's danger everywhere. And it makes it makes relationships, I think, higher risk than they've ever been before. And you can talk about that politically, as a nation, you can talk about that in our churches, you can talk about that in our families. There is more tension, there is more um, turmoil than I've ever seen before, in my life at least. Which is kind of sad, because the truth of scripture is, I mean, God's design for us is that we were made for relationships and relationships are intended by God. To be one of the most joy-giving, life-giving parts of our entire existence. Do you know that in the very beginning when everything was perfect, God looked at a single human and said, it is not good for people to be alone. And he created us, he wired us from the beginning for relationships. And so relationships are supposed to be this very good thing. They are good. God declared them to be good, except right now, they're a little risky, and I don't know who is to blame, and I, I don't want to place blame, I don't think it's very helpful, but here's what I can say, that if we want to get our relationship lives from a place like this to looking to a place a little more like this, <laughs> Jesus is the way. If, if we want to transform the landscape of our world, and not just the world, but but our relational lives, if we want relationships to be a place where we can experience safety and joy and fun and play again, if, if we want it to look like this again, there's one way to do it. And that is the way of Jesus. Now, I'm going to warn you up front today, there is going to be a lot of Scripture. And, and Jesus, he's just going in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going through a bunch of topics. They're all really short, but there are a lot of them. And this is not just, you know, it's the last week. We're trying to dump it all in here. What you'll see as Jesus goes through all of these topics that we maybe think about differently, he's actually talking about things that all revolve around the centerpiece or the thread of our relationships. He's giving us a new way to live out our relational lives. So uh, Matthew 5, 21. Interestingly enough, as Jesus begins teaching, you'll see him kind of going through the second half of the Ten Commandments, which have a relational thread through all of them. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. It's one of the commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, this is still here. This has been here all weekend. This is your bonus Greek word. Somehow it got in there, Adelphus. So just to, you know, if you were hungry, hungry for a little Greek today, you got it right here. Uh, with, if you're angry with a brother or sister, term Greek, uh, Greek term Adelphos, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus starts off and he says, you know what, just because you haven't killed anyone, you haven't committed murder, does not mean that you are relationally righteous. If you're careless with your words, if you go around and use words in a harsh way, in a hurtful way to people, then, then you're kind of part of the problem. There's another way for you. He continues... He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So picture this, first century Jerusalem, you, the way you worship God is you make sacrifices, you make offerings at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. And this is how you keep things good between you and God. Right? The most important relationship you have is your relationship with God. So you're there and you're making your offerings to maintain this relationship you have with God, the most important relationship in your life. And yet, here's what Jesus says. You're there, and and suddenly you remember that there's some tension between you and someone else. I mean, you're there for you and God, but you remember there's tension somewhere else in your life. He says, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to the other person. Then come and offer your gift. And here's why. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on your way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Here's the reason you can leave the altar there in front of God, the most important relationship with your life, in your life and deal with those other relationships because God isn't going anywhere. And you know what? When it comes to human relationships, Jesus is telling us time is of the essence So for any of us who are living with unresolved conflicts in relationships, as we're living with that conflict, it's building, it's it's becoming bigger and bigger. Jesus says time is of the essence. When it comes to God, he will be there. He'll be ready for you. Whenever you wanna come around, he's gonna be there. But in our human relationships, we need to be timely in resolving conflict. We cannot tolerate unresolved conflict. Now Paul says in another place, as much as it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Which means you, you can't on your own reconcile or bring healing to a relationship. But you can certainly make the effort. And that's what Jesus is saying. Then he goes on. And he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and again, he talks, it seems like he's jumping subjects now, but he's really, he's talking about our relational lives. Whether that's stuff that we act out or stuff that we just, you know, our thought lives, temptations that we entertain. He's saying, hey, be careful when you look around the world that you don't start objectifying people. That you don't diminish people's personhood. And when it comes to our sexuality, it's easy to do this, right? You just see someone as an object and you forget that they're not an object. They're a person. And they're not just a person, but they're a person who's a a son or a daughter or they're a husband or wife or a brother or sister. You start to to see them outside of context and you objectify them. And Jesus says, hey, that's going to create disaster for you. Whether you act on it or whether you just entertain it in your mind, don't go there. And then he goes on and he says, if your right, eye caused you to stumble. We looked at this last week. Gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. This is how important this stuff is. It's important for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And then he goes. and He says, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife, now from adultery to divorce, must give her a certificate of divorce. In other words, there's a right way to do this. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. So he divorces her, but she becomes a victim of his action. And not only her, anyone who marries a divorced woman also becomes a victim. They become ensnared in this. They commit adultery. Now, this is heavy teaching here, I know. But here's what I find interesting. That even in the ancient world, people were hoping, they were looking for some way to a no-fault divorce. And in the ancient world, they thought they had one. If you just do it the right way, even in the religious world, if you do it the right way, then you can erase that, you can just let it go. And Jesus says, you know what? When when it comes to our relationships, there is no magic wand, there is no magic eraser that can erase a relationship like it never happened. And this applies to marriage, but this applies to every deep relationship that you have ever had. A broken relationship, it doesn't just go away, does it? And I mean, if you're divorced, you especially know this, but all of us who've ever had a broken friendship, you know that those things don't just go away. They don't just disappear. When someone has been significant in your life, they never really stop being significant. So even when when you have to move on, when there's a rift that cannot be repaired, there's still a cost to that, Jesus acknowledges. And so the best case is, Whenever possible, again, be reconciled. He continues. I'm going to go through these, uh, this part faster. Uh, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the, the vows, the promises that you have made. But I tell you, don't even bother swearing an oath at all. You know, put your hand on the Bible and say, I solemnly swear. Either don't do it by heaven, for that's God's throne. Don't do it by earth. That's his footstool. Don't do it by Jerusalem. That's his city, the city of the great king. And you know what, don't bother swearing on your life or your mother's life or on your own head (laughs) because you can't make even one hair on your head white or black. Like, you don't have control over this stuff. All you need to do is simply yes. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In other words, you know, we, we hold people accountable, leaders, for saying one thing, doing another, but Jesus says, hey, in all of our lives, what we say matters, and, and we should say what we do and do what we say, because when we don't, when we stop uh, following through, when we break trust, again, it creates relational havoc in our lives. And so we should do what we say, say what we do, and we fall short. We should say we're sorry, but these grand oaths and making big promises and, and forget about it, just yes or no, and then do it, Jesus says. Change our relational lives. You've heard, it said, uh, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, We're getting closer to the heart of this now. If you're kind of like, whoa, I'm overwhelmed. I don't blame you. Tune in. So you've heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. tooth." But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take the shirt off your back, you know, demand it from you, okay, hand it over to them and then give them your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now this is where it starts to get maybe a little bit like too much for us. Jesus says here, you know what? It's not just when someone's calling you names, when they're saying, you fool. It's not just about keeping your word. It's not just about dealing with temptation and not objectifying people. But Jesus says, according to Jesus' way for our relationships, he says, when you are being assaulted physically, instead of going the way of vengeance, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, I'm going to take my revenge, Jesus says, I've got a different way for you. Turn the other cheek. He says, when someone's suing you and they're trying to take the very shirt off your back, you know, you think about a business partner who's trying to steal your company, a soon-to-be ex who's trying to take you to the cleaners and the lawyers are involved and there are, you know, you, you got you to go big and you got to strike first and all that stuff is happening. Jesus says, hey, we know where that ends up. If you want to try this a different way, try this. Next time someone sues you, you go, hey, just, just have it. Not only can you have that, but here's a little bit of extra for you. Someone's holding you up in a dark alley. I said, give me your wallet. You say, hey, you want my watch, right? Just just do it differently. And we hear that and we go, that's insanity. And on one side, maybe there's some hyperbole here, kind of like the gouging your eye out thing. Jesus is not calling us to self-mutilation, but he is calling us to a different way. And, And we look at this and we say, that's insanity. But you know what's insanity? The way we do it. Right? Remember what the world has become because we follow our own way. Things are the way they are, not because of God, but because of us, because we we think we know better. And Jesus here, although it's challenging, he says, hey, there's a different way. And so he teaches us a different way. And and you know this, and we're going to go here in a minute, that's not just something Jesus taught. This is the way that he lived. But there's more. He said, you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense, right? What are enemies for other than to hate? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this enemy talk, again, in my lifetime, I've never seen the enemy talk as high stakes as it is now. I've never seen enemy being used so freely. I mean, there were times where we were in war and we'd refer to invaders or attackers as enemies. That made sense. We're living in a time now where anyone can be your enemy. And we're throwing these terms around. It can be people in your church, it can be people in your family. It's certainly other people in your country, depending on if you live a coast in the coast or you live in the Midwest, right? I mean, those people—they're the problem. They're the enemy. We've never taken to this language, enemy. Again, in my life, probably in the '50s, Red Scare, maybe. But in my life, I can just say we've never—we've never grabbed onto this enemy language like we have today. And, And I just want to remind you that when we think about people as our enemies. First of all, the Bible says that we have one real enemy and that real enemy is not even flesh and blood. That it's a spiritual enemy and that people who may seem like our enemies, they're just broken, misled pawns of that enemy. Sometimes we are too of that true enemy. But but here's the thing, Jesus says, even if you want to use that term, even if you want to use that kind of language of that person's evil, that person's immoral, that person's my enemy, Jesus says, okay, even if you want to use that language… If you feel the label is appropriate, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your enemy and I'm going to invite you to love them. I'm going to invite you to pray for them even when they're persecuting you. Now this is relational advice that you're not going to hear from many counselors or many lawyers. I think they'd lose their license if they told you to be malpracticed. This is probably not what your mom or dad has taught you. This is probably not what your best friend would, would say to you. This is advice that only Jesus would give to you, that even when you, when you, when you want to acknowledge someone as your enemy and you think, yeah, that person is an enemy, he says, okay, fair enough. But you know what? They're your enemy. Here's your response. Love them. Do the same thing you would if they were your friend. You you love your friends. You pray for your friends. You do the same for your enemies. And he says why this is so important. In the very next verse, he says, and the reason I want you to do this is because then you may be children of your father in heaven we go back there just for a second. Uh, You may be children of your Father in heaven. See, Jesus says the reason this is so important for us is not only because pragmatically it changes the relational landscape of our world, and, and it can be transformative. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Jesus says, even if it didn't, even if it meant nothing, even if it didn't work, even if this was not an effective way to deal with people who you see as enemies, Jesus says, even so, you know what? It's the way of your Father. And whenever you deal with people this way, people may say, You're an idiot, you're a fool, this is ridiculous, you're getting walked all over, you're being a doormat. Jesus says, You know what? The father looks at you and he goes, That's my girl, that's my boy. In those moments, even if it doesn't amount to anything other than this, those are the moments where You look like your father in heaven because this is who your father in heaven is, and this is where all of this is anchored. This is why Jesus can teach us all of this crazy teaching, and as impossible as it sounds, because this is who our father is. Now we're ready to go on. This is who your father is. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. We like to use those words. We don't know what we're saying when we use those words. I mean, can we acknowledge that? Go back to the Garden of Eden. They're talking about good and evil and whenever we try to put those labels on things, we mess it up. God alone can do that. And even in God's righteous judgment about who's evil and good, here's how God responds, right? Whether evil or good, he causes his sun to rise on you. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? What reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors good at doing that? And if you greet only your own people, the people who are on your side, your tribe, your viewpoint, your whatever, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. See, why do we live a different way in our relationships? Not only because the way that we do things is just bringing us to disaster but you live a different way because that's how you resemble your father in heaven. And your father in heaven is someone who whether good or evil, friend or enemy, righteous or unrighteous, he's kind. He's good. He's loving. Some of you just need to hear this part and and take this home with you alone. Because I know that there are some of you here today some of you, you, you firmly believe that because of the things that you've done in your life or because of what's going on in your life right now, you, you firmly believe, or at least you question, you wonder, could God ever love me? Or you're convinced God could never love a person like me. And you're here to check it out because you're drawn to this, but in your heart of hearts, you're just like, God couldn't love someone like me, I've I've messed up too much, I've hurt too many people, I've I've made too many mistakes, I've got too much baggage in my life. Here's what I want you to hear today from the testimony of Jesus himself. That regardless of what label God puts on you, even if you label yourself as an enemy of God, here's what Jesus says. Doesn't change God's disposition toward you. Even if you're an enemy of God, Jesus says, And only God knows that. You don't know that. But even if you believe that in your heart of hearts, here's what Jesus says. He loves you regardless. And he's going to keep on being good to you. He's going to keep on being kind to you. You cannot stop his kindness. You cannot stop his goodness. Yeah, You can squander it, but you can't stop it. See, God does not change his affections for you based on your status, which, which means he's unlike everything else. Isn't that such a relief to know? Because in every other relationship right now, you know, you know that if you cross this line or if you do this or if this gets found out or, or you say this or if you, you, like you're walking on eggshells and you know that, that it's only a matter of time before the waters go dark and, and twisty and it gets dangerous quick. Isn't that a relief to know that at least with one being in the universe and that is God himself that it doesn't matter whether you're good or evil, righteous, unrighteous, he's, he's, he's going to be consistently good to you. He's going to be consistently kind to you. He loves you no matter what. So I just want to remind you that even in a world of turmoil, there is safe water for you to dive into. If you feel like there's not a relationship in your life that is safe, that is, that is whole, that is not just ripped apart with conflict... Start with this relationship, start with the place of God, press into him in spite of all of your doubt or fear or worry that you're not good enough because he's already declared, Jesus has given testimony, that no matter who you are, he has one desire for you and that is to show you kindness. He wants to be good to you. So you press into Jesus and then if I could encourage you, not just for yourself, I would encourage you to take another step and here's the step, See, it's also in Jesus that we find the way that will bring peace and calm and safety and fun back into our relationships. that will help our relational world be transformed to a day at the beach again. It's Jesus' way, all these impossible things that we've heard about today. And you know, there was a lot, but if I could sum it up, I've learned this phrase recently and I think, you know what, if I could sum up the way of Jesus for our relationships, it is this, unconditional positive regard. Now, this is a term that I've learned from psychology. Carl Rogers is the one who made it known. But, but I think, you know, I read Matthew 5, and this is what Jesus is both embodying, and this is what Jesus is calling us to. Unconditional positive regard. That means whether friend or enemy, he's going to treat you the same, and he's going to treat you, hold you in a high positive regard. He will treat you well. See, if I could just sum up everything that we heard today from the Scripture, all of those things, adultery and divorce and vows and, you know, not saying you fool and loving. It, it's this. Jesus is calling us to his way, and his way is unconditional positive regard. Now, here's what I know that's, that's maybe easy to understand. It is so hard to practice. Before I even learned this term, this term's new to me, but um, I, I first became aware of this concept 15 years ago. Jocelyn and I were in year six of our marriage, and we decided to do a marriage study with another couple. It was just us and another couple. We both had young kids, and we thought, you know what? Let's both just have a safe place where we can go deep. We can just be vulnerable. We can talk about the stuff of marriage outside of a church Bible study or anything else. And, and so that's what we did. We, our kids were young, so we got babysitters, and we'd get together on Friday nights, and we'd open up some bottles of wine, and we would have, you know, charcuterie boards set out, Except 15 years ago, we just called those snacks, we called them cheese and crackers. That's what we called them. Now they're charcuterie. Um, but it was just, we, we have that and we have wine. And we turned on this DVD curriculum called Love and Respect. Um, some of you are still aware of that. And we'd watch it and then we would just have deep discussion about it. And I remember a lot from that study, the format of that study, just with that other couple, that was one of my favorite things ever, and I grew so much um, through that. But I remember one teaching from the lead teacher, Emerson Eggerichs. Uh, I remember his teaching, and he said, you know what, in marriage, man, half the battles are won, more than half, if you can just remember that you're married to a person of goodwill. And I heard that, and I thought, Wow. Because already in year six of my marriage, I had gone from, you know, being this goo-goo-eyed, so in love with Jocelyn guy who thought, you know, she was the most beautiful, interesting, intelligent, sexy, compelling person I've ever known, a person who I knew unquestionably was imperfect but had a good heart. I, I went from that in our dating relationship, that on our married, uh, our wedding day, I went from that and six years later... All of these doubts started coming into my mind now as, as, as just the rub of living would take effect and, and you know she would insult me unintentionally or she'd hurt me or overlook me and, and all of that stuff started to build up and it wasn't just like the stuff, but it, was, it started to change the, what I believed about her. I went from on my wedding day going, she's not perfect, but I know she's a good person. She's a good-hearted person. She's for me. She's in my corner. To six years into marriage being like, I'm not so sure about her sometimes. I'm sleeping with one eye open. I don't know. I don't know. And of course, this is with the woman that I'm building a life with. And it didn't stop 15 years ago when I did this marriage study. I've learned this, this thing of, okay, this is the way of Jesus, and this is what Jesus is calling me to do in my marriage and in my relationships, but it's still a battle for me two years ago. Um, uh, A bedroom came open in our house Our oldest, Ellie, she moved down to the basement And uh, that meant her bedroom was open And Jocelyn and I kind of talked about what to do with the bedroom And and here's what Jocelyn said to me She said, here's what I want you to do I want you to take this room And I want you to turn it into whatever you want I want it to become your room I want you to have a space in our house That is yours Now, we don't have an enormous house it's a fine house. It fits our family, but like we, we don't have extra rooms. I just want to be clear. Like we don't have extra rooms just in our house. Jocelyn doesn't have her own room. This is one extra room in our house, in a house of five people. And Jocelyn looks at me and she goes, I want, I want you to have this room. I want you to do with it whatever you want. Again, I've married a very generous, incredible woman. It's proof. And so I, I started creating this room into what I wanted it to be. And, and it's an awesome room. I still use it. And one of the things that I did in this room is, you know, I'm, I'm setting everything up and I'm, I'm making it the way I want is I put a Bluetooth speaker in the room so I could listen to music while I'm in this room. And one day I go into the room after it's all set up and, and I go to turn on my Bluetooth speaker and it's gone. And I'm like, that's weird. And so I go out into the main part of the house and I find the Bluetooth speaker out there in the kitchen. And I'm like, that's weird. We had a Bluetooth speaker out here. I don't know why mine's out here, but whatever. I take it, I put it back in the room. Uh, A couple days later, same thing happens. It's out there, I bring it back. This happens a couple times. Then one day I come into the room, uh, into my room, and I look for my Bluetooth speaker. And it's not only missing, but in its place is this crappy Five dollar Bluetooth speaker from like five below. It's some cast off that my kids didn't even want, and that's that's now sitting there on my shelf where my good Bluetooth speaker used to be. And and I'll tell you what happened. Some I, I think it was some, I don't understand it still. Some old wound in me or something was opened up. Because I got so offended and so hurt and so angry. And I'm sitting in this room in our house that my wife said, here, I want you to have this room. I want you to do with it what you want. And and I want you to have that. And she's demonstrated her generosity and kindness and her her good-heartedness toward me. And yet over this speaker, I'm thinking, that woman is a pariah, right? (laughs) Everything good I have, she just takes and she has no respect and no boundaries and she's selfish and she doesn't care about me. That's how easy it is to lose this unconditional positive regard for another person. Even when it's your wife, even when it's someone, and again, Jocelyn is so good-hearted. She's not perfect, but she's showing me dozens of times every day that she is a person of goodwill, and yet over a Bluetooth speaker, it's so easy for me to forget it, and here's what I'm learning about all this, that, that what really damages our relationships is almost never the hurtful actions themselves. It's not the speaker, it's not the word, it's not the careless comment. What really causes the most damage to us in our relationships, it's always the story that we tell ourselves about the person's heart, who committed the action. Or I'll say it this way: uh, What damages our relationships is not the hurtful actions of others, but it's the stories we tell ourselves about the heart behind the actions. Again, what damages our relationships is not just the hurtful actions. And and I know you can be hurt in, in major ways, but I've also watched as people who've been hurt in big ways have gotten over it and some people have never gotten over it because it's not just about the actions. But so often it's about the stories we tell ourselves about the heart behind the actions, about who that person is and what their intentions are. Are they good? Are they evil? Are they a friend Are they an enemy? Are they righteous? Are they unrighteous? And and Jesus would say, and and what Jesus demonstrates, is no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, hold them in unconditional positive regard. See, that's the key to keeping our relational lives back on track, uh, to get them back on track, to calm the storms and to calm the seas of all the relational turmoil in our life. It starts with telling ourselves different stories Uh, Yes, even about the people who hurt us. And you know what? This is what Jesus does, right? This is the way of Jesus, which is why one day he was having dinner with a bunch of people and the Pharisees and the the religious leaders were standing outside. They go, what is that man doing? He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Can you believe it? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And Jesus looked around the table and he said, you know what? Sinners and tax collectors, what, what are you talking about? I'm eating dinner with sick people who are in need of a doctor. Isn't this is what doctors do? They, they, these people aren't sinners and tax collectors. They're not the enemy. They're, they're sick. They need a doctor. That same group of people, he said, you know what? I look around this table and I see people, I see lost sheep. And of course they're lost. They don't have a shepherd to lead them, but that's, that's what I'm doing here with the religious leaders who were always picking a fight with Jesus, lobbing grenade after grenade. Jesus doesn't get into guerrilla warfare with them. Instead, he does what he tells us to do. He turns the other cheek again and again. And so they arrest him and he, and, and he, and he goes along with it and they beat him and he, he takes it. And they take him before Pilate and they put him on trial and he he sits there and he doesn't, he doesn't say anything in defense of himself. He doesn't lodge. Laba counterattacked and, and, and they put him on the cross and they strip him naked and he lets them take the shirt off his back. And it's not just that he does that but in that moment when he's hanging on the cross and we're going to talk more about this next week as he's hanging on the cross and these people are being awful to him he, he looks up to heaven and he says Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing in other words I don't see a bunch of, of you know evil miscreants at my feet I know what I'm looking at right now are people who are ignorant. They're confused. They don't have a clue. See, when Jesus looks at us, that's how he can call us friends. Even though we give him plenty of evidence that that we're not always friends. Sometimes we live just like enemies, right? And yet he looks at us, not, not because we give him so much proof that we're worthy of love. No. It's because Jesus in his life lived and continues to live with this unconditional positive regard. And at the end of the day, that's what's won us over, isn't it? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice, I want you to think about, this is where I want you to start and just take all this and maybe apply it in this one way. The next time someone's hurting you, I want you to think about not just focusing on the actions, but I want you to notice the story you're telling yourself. And if the story you're telling yourself about this person who is hurting you is they're an evil person, they're a bad person, they always do this, how awful, how terrible, then I can tell you without even knowing you how that story will end. It'll turn into an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, vengeance, revenge, retaliation, the way of the world. But if you can look at that person who's hurting you and you can look at them with the eyes of Jesus and say, this person doesn't know what they're doing. And, and not only that, this person is a person who is broken just like I am. This is a person who's probably trying to find their way through life and doing it poorly just like I do sometimes. See so if you tell yourself that story, that what you're dealing with is another broken person who's worthy of kindness because that's the way of Jesus, then that story might look different. It, it might even end with you looking at these impossible teachings of Jesus, these things that seem impossible, turning the other cheek and loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. Suddenly with a different story, you might find yourself being able to do the impossible. And as we think about the world and and all the turmoil out there in the world, I just want to encourage you to to start to look at your stories, especially with those closest to you, because the problems with our world is not, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans don't know how to get along, or this group and that group. The problem is that for all of us who are using this enemy language, who are in battle mode, we probably in our lives have, have a kid that we're not very connected with. We have a parent we're not talking to. We have an ex that we're at war with. We have a sibling that we're disgusted with. And if we can just begin to apply the way of Jesus, this unconditional positive regard in those relationships, it will change everything. I want you to see these words of Paul as we close. Sums it up so well. He says, at the end of the day, when it comes to your relationships, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children. No matter who you are, that's who God sees you. That's, that's the regard with which he holds you. And so walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We pray, Lord, make this true of us. Thank you for not treating us as our actions deserve. Thank you for not labeling us foe or enemy Thanks for seeing us in our evil and in our sin, but not, but not labeling us that way. Thank you instead for always treating us with kindness, with grace and mercy, with love and compassion. Thanks for allowing the sun to rise on us, for good things to come into our lives no matter what. God, I, I know it seems impossible, but I pray today that you would both instruct us in the heart of Jesus for us, this unconditional positive regard. And then God, give us the courage to to try it out with someone else. Not as a way of saying that their hurtful actions don't matter, but just as a way, as a testimony to the fact that we know that we've been won over by the kindness of Jesus. So God, help us be kind to people that we might win them over and that the relational waters of our life might be restored to a place of of peace and harmony, a a place that we can be refreshed, a, a place of enjoyment, a place of a place of renewal. So God, show us the way. Give us the courage to follow the way. Thank you for Jesus who is our way. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at our website, pathfinderstl.org.